0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Nerd Unscripted. This is your host, Tony Lightegg, And, um, sorry I haven't been very chatty before we got started here. Chris and I started this new diet a few weeks ago. I might have told you about this before. Um, it's been pretty pretty interesting process. I think we're a month in, as of yesterday. And um I've dropped twenty pounds and uh two pants sizes. I start I was in 38s this summer and I'm wearing 34s right now, which is exciting. And uh my um, blood sugar has really stabilized, which has been kind of a cool byproduct. Like whenever I started actually paying attention to it, um I was averaging 130s, 140s, sometimes even up to 160s if I had a Sunday or something. <laughs> you know, got to love ice cream. But I've been consistently under 100 pretty much every day, which has been pretty exciting for me. So, um yeah. It's been it's been a good experience. It's one of those times where you feel comfortable in saying that you're less of a man than you used to be, <laughs> at least from a weight perspective. But my goal is to get down maybe another fifteen pounds or so. We'll see. Um, it's uh, called Optavia, Georgi- uh, Georgian. Optavia it used to be called Metafast, which I did years ago, like 11 years ago, I lost 74 pounds on Metafast in a, just under four months. And I mean, it worked great, but they've completely reformulated everything. And um, so it's more healthy, organic, all of that. And it just works really well. You know i like it so kristen originally connected with a local gal who had it and she's describing it to me and i said that kind of sounds like metafast she's like i don't think that's what it's called and so um we investigated a little bit further and that's when we discovered what it was and i said i'll do it with you you know why not you know be easier for us to to do it together and um Yeah, um, we we already are working on a post diet plan, William, for sure. Like before, I was traveling a lot, so keeping up with things uh, diet wise after I got off was uh, challenging, and so I lost a or I slowly discovered rediscovered those things that I lost, but it took me a few years, but. Um, our approach is different um, this time around. We've already started plotting and planning, and we're going to be on it probably at least another month or so, but um, but also planning for the future so because I I don't like yo-yoing with my diet and my body responds really well to eating correctly. so um, and I want to be around for uh, quite a while longer, so I can torment all of you guys with my crazy thoughts and insights. <laughs> so, that means being and staying healthy, and that's my number one goal. You know, I want to see my grandkiddos grow up. I had a dream the other night of Maya as a 18-year-old, uh, 10 years from now, and I thought, you know, that's going to be kind of crazy to think of her as a teenager. But it's 10 years. I want to make sure that I'm here and healthy. So anyway, William says, please do torment us. I'll I'll do my best. That's all I can promise. (laughs) I will do my best. So um, tonight. um, (laughs) Yeah. Mike said or Mark said I don't like calling it a diet because die is in the first three letters. I prefer eating habits. Yeah. Yeah, I got you there. Um I honestly wasn't sure what I was going to share today. Up until about 10 minutes ago. Um and and actually in hindsight it was probably a little bit longer than that. Um because it's what came to me was a a topic that I've wondered about for a long time, and um, so I figured, you know, we're just going to head in this direction and we'll see where we land. Um, but the the concept is um, identity obsessions. It's something that I've never really understood much, but um, you see a, you see it a lot. Um, And what I mean by that is, you know how like you have sports teams, doesn't really matter what sport is, and then you have the fans and they so obsess with and connect with like hardcore fans with their sports teams, you know, that they know all of the stats, all the information, they have the jerseys. I mean, they're like way over the top. And and that just doesn't happen with sports. You see it in politics. You see it in religion. You see it um, with movies like last night, um, typically on Monday nights when it's on, Kristen and I watched The Voice because I love see, see, to see people expressing their talent and getting a shot, even though some of it's a little bit rigged, but I don't care. People still have to have the chops to be able to sing. And um, but they also announced that the final movie trailer for uh, Rise of Skywalker, the new Star Wars movie, was going to be dropping on the halftime show. And so um, I was monitoring the game on my laptop while we were watching um, the voice on the big screen. And uh, so when we saw that it was time, we switched over so we could watch the trailer and the trailer was awesome, of course, but this morning we watched it again on, a, on my computer here and uh, we were watching some of the um, the breakdowns, you know, because there's like large groups of YouTubers who will, you know, analyze, you know, any given trailer depending on what their interests are, like literally frame by frame and tell you about all the things that you missed and where they get this information I have no idea but anyway so we watched one or two of those this morning um, and there were a couple of interesting things that they pointed out that I didn't see I mean I've only watched the trailer twice but, but the more I thought about it it's like you know I told Kristen because you see like there's some of the YouTube videos it's like Star Wars is going to suck and they're never going to reclaim what it's supposed to be and this movie the new movie is going to be a failure and blah 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 and all this Crazy. And I thought, you know what? It's a damn movie. It's like entertainment. Like, this isn't the reality that you live in. Star Wars is fiction, at least as far as we know in this, you know, this universe. It could have really happened. Who knows? But anyway, for all intents and purposes in this discussion, we'll call it fiction. And, but yet there's these people like hardcore star wars fans and i'm a huge fan of star wars but like there's these hardcore star wars fans that are so freaking obsessive that it would be impossible for anybody to make the perfect star wars movie you know including lucas the guy who invented the whole universe you know i mean he proved that whenever he put out episode one and so on it's like Okay, so here's the creator of the universe and he just put out something that was about as stupid as you could get, you know, in a lot of people's eyes. I mean, I've never really been a big fan of Jar Jar Binks, although he is pretty funny. But it's that kind of mentality, you know, to the point where they develop third party offenses and judge others, you know, like. Fine. If you want to be a Patriots fan, you know, New England Patriots, that's awesome. I mean, I don't know what the final score in the game was last night because I don't really watch football much. I mean, I enjoy watching it sometimes, but I'm not obsessed about it. I could care less. You know, I know at halftime, the Patriots were kicking the Jets' butts and taking numbers. uh, And they're undefeated right now. And they've been kind of dominating the sports for a long time. But... If I had to name like one player, I don't know that I could, except maybe the quarterback, you know, Cause, like at the end of the day, I just don't care. It doesn't matter. But God forbid, you know, uh, an opponent to the New England Patriots. Uh, so they won 33 nothing. OK. But so you have hardcore Patriots fans will look at other teams that have been longtime rivals. And it's like, I hate that team, you know, they're horrible and all that. You don't even freaking know those people. But yet they're obsessed and taking on third-party offense. You know, you have armchair critics of movies criticizing the actors and the writers and the directors. The way I look at it is, like with movies... Whenever you put up your own $200 million to produce a movie, then you have all the rights in the world to bitch about it. But otherwise, you know, you spent your 15 bucks on going to see a movie? Shut the hell up. That's kind of the way I see it. But yet, people are so insane with this kind of stuff. It's like, all the Democrats hate the Republicans. All the Republicans hate the Democrats. For Christ's sake, that's what's wrong with the country. Everybody hates everybody, you know? And it drives me nuts. I mean, I definitely tend toward one political affiliation more than another, only because the, re- the values that they reflect align more with my personal goals. You know, but all the underlying insanity behind it all and the public manipulation And, you know, using like identity politics um, is just maddening. I I find it really maddening. And so I understand the core reason why some of it happens, because um, as I've taught many times, one of the inherent human traits that we all have is the need to belong. And, you know, I don't I think. We all have that drive in one form or another. We want to belong to somebody we or to a group. We want to have friends. We want to identify with things. I mean, hell, I have a lot of hobbies and um, specific interests and stuff. And so, you know, I'm drawn to those kinds of things and those kinds of people. I mean, a lot of you here are artists, right? Or You know, maybe you enjoy talking about fringe theories and different things like that. And so you're naturally drawn here to this, you know, nerd unscripted group and weekly webinar. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But we're also not obsessing over all of this stuff. You know, I mean, imagine me. It's like, you know, finally drawing and embracing more and more my art and then To take that to the level of the exclusion of everything else, it's like, oh, well, you know what? I'm a professional photographer, so if you're taking any kind of photos whatsoever with a smartphone, you're obviously an idiot because you can't, you have to own high-end equipment to truly achieve real photographs. And if you're a drawer or a painter, those are just stupid practices. I don't care if they've been around for a long time or not. Photography is it. You know, like that sounds really stupid, doesn't it? But yet you have folks out there, not so much in the hobby arena, but certainly in a lot of other arenas that are like that. No, my religion is right and yours is wrong. And because you don't believe my religion, you're going to go to hell. What? (laughs) Like whenever you step back from all of that, that obsessiveness, it really sounds like people are insane, you know? Like, why do we have to prove that one person is right or wrong? That's why, you know, as I've said many times, I'm not a big fan of right versus wrong, good versus evil, because it's all too subjective. You know, what's right or wrong or good or evil is based upon the perspective of who's talking. You know, I mean, there are some global truths that exist that relate to good or bad or right or wrong. But it more comes down to cause and effect, which, of course, I am a big fan of, cause and effect. You know, you eat the wrong berry, you're going to die. You eat the correct berry, you will live, right? That's not good or bad. I mean, we would label, oh, that that um, berry there is bad. We can't eat that. Well, we can't eat it, and it's labeled bad because if we eat it, we die. But it's not It's subjective. You know, there's animals. It's like, oh, my God, I just saw a deer eat a bunch of those berries. You know, yay, the deer's going to die so we can get to eat meat now. Except nothing happens, (laughs) you know. And so that's what I find crazy and maddening, especially like that kind of attitude in sports. I've never gotten at all. I mean, I love sports. I never really played other than as a kid and teenager, I never really got into football and all those kinds of things. I mean, I played league basketball, um league softball, bowling. Well, you don't play bowling, you just kind of bowl. <laughs> I was pretty damn good at it too. My back in my prime, my uh my bowling average score was 286, which isn't horrible given that it could only be 300. Um I could maybe throw a 90 now if I'm lucky it's been a few years, but, but like it wasn't my life. You know, it wasn't my identity. Now my sister, Tanya, my youngest sister, she's 12 years younger than I am. And she is a hardcore Penn State fan. She went to college at Penn State um, for computer science and all of that. And I get that. Um, And so she's like there at the games, wearing the garb and, you know, painted faces and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, that's fine for her. I don't really, like, it just doesn't do it for me. And I, but I see that in so many other areas as well. It's kind of very interesting. Yeah, Jess says, related to Star Wars, it's crazy, which exa- it's exactly why Galaxy's Edge and Disney is struggling. They didn't satisfy the hardcore fan of Star Wars, nor the die-hard Disney fan. Yeah, I mean, like, so if you take this, that brings up a really good point, Jess. So you take this identity obsession. Right. And obviously, you have fans that you want to please because they're the ones who bring the money. Right. So, when does it change from you doing your own thing because you love to play the sport, or you love the religious experience, or you believe in your party's politics, or fill in the blank, or it's a great movie that we believe in? To where you start pandering to the hardcore fans because that's what they expect. Right? Well, i got to keep my constituents happy and pass just enough laws so that they vote me back in so I can get that, you know, big paycheck for the rest of my life while I do nothing. Or need to make sure that our you know the pews are filled so that we can afford to pay off the mortgage on the church that we spent too much on or whatever the case may be like those those dynamics even in the church always drove me crazy it's one of the reasons why i left and i mean i was leadership right and i remember one time um being in a, a sermon or being in a service and uh the head of the leadership team was taking up the offering, speaking, and uh, you know he was quoting that one verse from the Old Testament. I forget where it is now. About you know, whenever given, it's given to you. Or no, it wasn't that one. It was about you know having the windows of heaven open and a blessing pours out. I forget the exact words anymore. Um, but he made the statement. You know, he was encouraging people to give because we had a pretty hefty mortgage on the building. And he was encouraging people to give. And he said, uh, after all, you don't want the windows of heaven closed to you, do you? And I just smacked my head. I'm like, really? Like, that's the approach that we're going to take now to get people to give more? I, I mean, it just went everything against what I believe. Like, to the point, whenever your obsession includes manipulating people or pandering to people just so that they, you know, give your dollars or give their dollars or whatever, we have a much bigger problem going on. And that's the way I see it, you know. And But we see it all the time. You know, we see it in sports. We see it in church. We see it in, and I'm not just talking Christianity. I mean, it's everywhere. Um, we see it in um, politics, especially these days. Holy cow. Um, I promise that I will never spend an episode of this talking on politics because we don't want to go down that road. But, um, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But I, I, honestly, I just don't understand it. Like, I don't get it. Like, why we need to be obsessive like that you know and so like when our winning team wins you know we all win you know and they call it the reflected glory syndrome where we uh certainly reflect the the big win as if we won you know and i think i've mentioned this probably at one time or another i always found it humorous to overhear hardcore sports fans talking about their teams like the day after a victory or something. And it's always wee conversations. You know, like uh, they'll say, it's like, well, you know, when we ran that ball down the field in the third quarter, I knew that we were going to win the game because we were unstoppable. My boy so-and-so just threw that perfect touchdown pass and it was all, you know down here for from for the other team from there and you know it's all this we and my guy and all of this kind of stuff and I'm looking like who the hell are you? Like they don't know who you are. <laughs> you know? It's just I don't know. I like people watching and people listening because I find it like it's like the universe built in entertainment into humanity just to keep us all moving forward and sane. Because it's like, okay, whatever, you know, whatever works for you. Yeah, William says on any given Sunday, any NFL team can win no matter their season record. They're professional athletes. Yeah, they're paid way too much money. You know, I mean, it's just kind of like, you know, whenever you hear actors and actresses take up political causes, for instance, it's like. Dude, I'm not going to see your movies to hear what you have to say about a topic related to our national security. Like, I'm going to see you pretend to be somebody else, and I'm happy to pay for that. But I really don't care what you have to say about politics beyond what anybody else does. You know, you're welcome to share your opinion because that's the society we live in. I'm fine with you sharing what you believe. Um, but to think that you should have influence in what you believe just because you get paid too much money to pretend to be somebody else. Sorry, that just don't work for me. And,
1: you know, I don't know.
0: Uh, Mark says, I think that with the constant in hand media onslaught to be noticed these days, you have to double down. On your thoughts or ideas and make them in-your-face extreme to even be in the running to be listening to, often feel like an ROI number. Yeah, it's a really good point. You know, um, and as I've said many times, you know, read um, Edward Bernays. You know, um, his books, um, "Crystallizing Public Opinion" and "Propaganda." Like those two books are today's playbooks. You know, it doesn't matter where you look; it's everywhere. Uh, Carolyn says, your identity topic and fanatic discussions reminds me of something I saw early on, possibly grade school, certainly high school. I really had problems with the demand to have an opinion, to choose a side and defend it. I so often saw that both sides had something right and something wrong. I wanted to pull together the best of both sides or even find another view. When we were forced into debate teams, it gave me the creeps. Yeah, I can really relate to that in a lot of respects. Um, And having said that, I've always been a good debater. You know, matter of fact, whenever I was younger, I thrived on it. Like, I loved a good debate. Um, You know, especially, I mean, growing up in the church, the way I did and everything, like, apologetics was my thing, you know. I would, uh, whenever I lived in New Jersey, which was in my 20s and early 30s, um, we had the, uh, it was in Ocean City. I lived in Ocean City. And so we would have these groups that would go up on the boardwalk at night and they'd have these big wooden signs that talk about how the end of the world is coming and everybody's going to hell and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, so for, for me, for fun and entertainment, I would go up and debate them. And, uh, and whenever we would have like, um, Jehovah witness and Mormons and different ones like that come to the house here, whenever I was younger, you know, uh, my first wife, Deborah, she would say, why do you even talk to these people? (laughs) You know, you know, they're not going to change your mind. Like I know, I just like hearing them talk. You know, I love to debate them. I just enjoyed it. And, um, because I was smart and I knew how to counter their arguments and so for me it was just fun Um, these days I really don't care Um, I'm I'm definitely in a different headspace than I was back then because now it's like you know what you're entitled to believe whatever you want like who am I I don't know you Um, so why should I force my belief system onto you as long as you're not hurting people and manipulating people or hurting yourself, for that matter, um, we, we are all on individual journeys, you know. And uh, just, we're also the product of a lot of data input from a lot of different directions. Social economic, cultural, religious, uh, on and on. And that's what makes us unique. So how could we possibly cookie cutter any experience to any given human being? You know, I mean, yeah, we have things in common with our people groups, but even those are so diluted anymore. You know, I mean, I don't know if you've ever had DNA tests done. I've had a bunch of them done um, just because I find that fascinating. And, you know. Um, <laughs> some people like uh, like Kristen will say, you know, she's white AF and that's mostly true for me, um, I mean i have a lot of but even within that i mean you know there's some irish in there and english and scandinavian and native american of course uh but i am who i am you know there's no pure blood anybody hardly anymore except in maybe some obscure regions but even them you know so i get the the identity thing to a certain extent like i understand it philosophically And from an archetype perspective, it makes sense, you know, because there's only so many. Um, And so we're going to identify with certain archetypes. Like, for instance, as I've said before, who doesn't want to be a hero at some point in their life? You know? Why not? You know, you want to feel like a hero. It makes you feel important or be important or whatever. And there's nothing wrong with that. I just find it very curious to see the, like, the extreme. Yeah, Laurie says, with sports fans, it is we if they win and they if they lose. Yeah, for sure. And Steve says, many celebs live in a bubble isolated from the real world. Yeah, exactly, which to me gives them even less of a right to comment. You know, like their world is not reality. And I don't mean they're acting like I have no problem with actors being paid for their job. Like that's never been a thing for me, but I have no problem with them making money, getting paid for what they do. Same with I don't have a problem with um, sports teams and professional athletes getting paid for what they do. But 15 million dollars a year for a an athlete when the people who are shaping our children's futures are getting paid thirty thousand or forty five thousand dollars a year, like there's something seriously screwed up with that, you know and like that will never make sense to me ever, same with like a pol- a politician once they serve in the House or the Senate or whatever you know, they get paid for the rest of their lives, even if they only serve one term. Like, why? They barely do shit when they're in there, much less whenever they're not. Why the hell should I, as a taxpayer, be paying for them the rest of their freaking lives? I don't get paid the rest of my life for doing nothing. Why the hell should they? You know what I mean? Like, the whole system is just so incredibly convoluted that... It just doesn't make any sense anymore. Such is the world we live in. Exactly. Williams says, how many people say if X happens, they will leave the country, and then when X happens, they never leave, right? Like when President Trump got elected, right? How many people said that they were leaving and the the country was going to go to hell in a handbasket and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, awesome. Get the hell out. See you later. Don't let, the, uh, <laughs> don't let the gate hit you in the butt as you cross the border. But they're still here, and they're still making money off of us, some of us. And, you know, it's just empty words, worthless talk. And, you know, I would even go so far as to say that the same is true for sports fans. I mean, you know what? If you love football, love football. There is nothing wrong with it. I enjoy watching any of those sports at any given time. But you know what? The New England Patriots is not you. Unless you're on their payroll playing in the damn game. It's not you. So what would happen if instead of obsessing over other identities, that we actually embraced our own to its fullest extent? Like what would happen there? How much could we impact the world? If we actually embraced who we are problem is a lot of us don't know who the hell we are we don't know why we're on the planet and by the way if you haven't figured this out yet which most of you have um, that can change you know what you were interested in back when you were in your 20s or 30s you know you may have no no desire to be that person now like I remember the first VA that I had, gosh, eight or nine years ago, um, she contacted me one day and she said, why aren't you designing more book covers these days? And I'm like, been there, done that, no desire to go back. I mean, I enjoy teaching about it because I have that knowledge, so why not help other people? But like for me to design book covers for other people, no thanks. She's like, yeah, but you're so good at it. And it would add an extra, you know, couple thousand dollars to your bottom line every month. How is that bad? Like, it's bad because I would have to actually do it. I don't want to design book covers. I mean, I created nearly 600. You know, I think I paid my dues, so to speak. You know, I know what I'm doing. I can create good designs, but... That is the last thing in the world that I would want to do right now. You know, is to step back into that world in that capacity. Um Do I still research cover design? Yeah, all the time on a regular basis because I'm smart enough to pay attention to trends. But does that mean that I'm going to start taking cover design clients? Unless you're a close friend of mine or you throw an embarrassing amount of money at me, I am not going to design a book cover for you, sorry. Unless I choose to. Like, whenever I did the book design reboot course, I designed 17 covers. And that was my choice. I chose to do that and I loved every minute of it because there was no pressure, it wasn't expected, and it was a gift that I could give To the people that were participating in that training. That's completely different. I wasn't making any money off of it. I was just doing it because I chose to. You know. But now. Like. I even have close friends. Like movers and shakers. That occasionally reach out to me and say. Hey I have this new book cover coming out. Or this new book. Would you consider doing the cover? No. (laughs) Sorry. Like. I designed my wife's cover like her book covers and the last non family cover I designed was for Felicia Slattery. She's one of my best friends. But beyond that, sorry, you know, I just don't want to do it anymore. And um I mean just like even right now um a lot of my professional identity is around the topics that I teach in, illustrating kids' books, publishing, public domain, um, econ products, you know, those kinds of things. It's it, at the end of the day, it's all creator-based products. That's really my market is creator products. You know, whether it's arts and crafts or books or physical products or digital products or whatever. It's a creator market. And that's my thing. And You know, my identity has been tied in that for a long time. But I'm telling you right now, that's changing. And I don't know what that's even going to look like a year or two from now. You know, I just don't know. I know some directions that I really am drawn to these days, like a magnet that I can't avoid. Um, And I resisted that for a long time. And I'm just not anymore. I'm not putting up the fight anymore. So I think it's important for us to recognize where we are, where we were, and where we need to go. Rather than being static to constantly change and evolve. And to me, that can be really challenging if you're obsessing over something that isn't you. You know? Like... I told Kristen today, whenever we were watching the Star Wars trailer, I said, why the hell can't people just enjoy these movies for what they are? They're entertainment. You know? That's like, oh, Solo was the worst Star Wars movie ever. You know, it was a failure. A flop. It was a flop that made $334 million. I'll take that flop. You know, I mean, damn. But by the same token, it turned a profit, by the way. You know, but by the same token, it's like, I don't care. I enjoyed the movie. Like, I liked it. I thought it was pretty cool. There were some things in it that I kind of rolled my eyes over a little bit. But at the end of the day, I didn't foot the bill. I didn't pay for it. And taking it at face value, I enjoyed it. Same with um, all the Star Wars movies. They, like, I remember the one movie is for one of the prequel movies. Um, I was flipping through the channels and I came across it. I forget which one it was now. Might have been episode two. Or no, it was episode three. And I came across like right in the middle of one of the battle scenes and I'm like, what is this? Now, I've seen all the Star Wars movies multiple times, mind you. <laughs> I came across, I'm like, what is this? this is really cool. Oh, wait. Yeah. This is from, yeah. Okay. You know, and I got entertained all over again. It was kind of awesome. Maybe ignorance is bliss. That's the key. Who knows? But, um, but if we have the courage to just take things for what they are, like, you know, my spiritual heritage is Christianity and there is a lot of benefit that I received from that over the years. And I accept that. I embrace all of that. But, you know, I'm not the same person that I was then. I'm changing. I'm evolving, as we all are, or should be. And so there are some elements that I don't embrace now that I did then. And I'm okay with that for you, it could be a completely different experience. You're like, well, I don't understand why you don't embrace it, Tony, but I like you. Like some of my best friends are a different political affiliation than I am. And they have different political beliefs than I do. And sometimes I read what they say and I'm like, really? Like, you're gonna go there? But you know what? As a person, I love them. And I respect them and their right to have an opinion. And I refuse to allow their spiritual beliefs, their political beliefs, any other beliefs like that to come between me and them as friends. Because their value as an individual is more important to me than. Opinions that they hold and I hope they extend that to me as well you know Because I mean imagine as a public figure who teaches classes like I do okay I mean, I have a not a massive audience a couple thousand people that I reach out to on a regular basis and who Cycle through various courses of mine depending on what I'm teaching and um, I can't possibly Please, everyone, all the time. Like it's impossible. And all of you are as diverse as diverse can be, you know? And there's been some times where um, I've said some things that have resulted in me losing customers. And that's unfortunate. But again, going back to what I said at the beginning of this, if I have to start pandering my message, Solely for the sake of protecting my income stream. I've just lost. Like I just lost the war. You know whenever it all comes down to money. At the end of the day I've lost. Because it's more than that. Whenever I'm willing to give up my personal identity. For the sake of making money. To me that's the ultimate definition of failure. And I'm just not going to do that. That's why whenever I started Nerd Unscripted, I I really put a lot of time and thought into it. Like, do I want to go down this path or not? Because I kind of had a sense of where I was going to go. And that some of the topics that I share would be very polarizing. Or potentially polarizing. I mean, frankly... Some of the stuff that I've talked about on this show, if certain customers of mine heard me say those things, they'd be out. Like, it's just that simple. Not recognizing that it's just me sharing a point of view. And honestly, there's times where I've said things on uh, Nerd Unscripted just to get a response, just to get a reaction. Because in a lot of cases, I'm kind of on the fence so to speak with a lot of topics you know like i'm definitely leaning toward reincarnation as a thing no doubt about it but you know i don't have personal empirical evidence that points to that i have some really weirdo experiences that make you scratch your head same with aliens and everything else you know i have experiences that i can't explain but um but beyond that Like, I can't show you hardcore proof. Like, I haven't regressed people and heard their thing, you know, or heard their experiences or whatever. So, um, I knew that some of our topics could be polarizing. But what I've realized over the last year plus that we've been doing this now is that, you know what, it's okay. I'm okay with it. I don't have any idea how long Nerd Unscripted is going to run and um it'll run as long as i feel like i have something to share (laughs) i guess that's it but um anyway uh yeah William says identity is the core of our psyche it is and i'm not don't misunderstand that i'm saying that identity is bad because i certainly don't think that uh if anything it's One of the most important traits that we have as humans because we are each unique. And that's what I was talking about just a moment ago. We're each unique. It's whenever we choose to um, hand over our uniqueness for the sake of parroting someone else's identity that I get concerned. You know where we adopt someone else's identity and i this is something that i've talked about before and it's something that i've struggled with before where you know in dating relationships you know or being in professional relationships and people say why aren't you doing so-and-so you'd be you'd be so great at it you know why aren't you should start a non-profit reaching out to um professional businessmen you know or you should teach more on this particular topic because you'd be really good at it. Like, But I don't want to teach on that topic. And there were times where I said, well, you know what? Can't see where it would hurt. I'll give her a whirl. And at the end of the day, you know, I ultimately realized that I was taking on somebody else's expectation of me rather than like someone else's projected identity of who I was rather than me embracing my own. And part of the problem was I didn't know who I was. Um, And that really is at the core. Like, William's 100% right that it's the core of our psyche. The problem is that most of the time we don't know what our identity is. Like, we're having uh, an identity crisis. And, you know, for whatever reason. And, um, you know, like, my son in law has been struggling with finding work right now. He had a job that he left. Because he was made another job offer and it's on the surface, it seemed really good. And the job that he was working in was a supervisor position, but it was very much less than ideal. He was putting up with a lot of crap because a lot of companies like that, manufacturing companies, you know, cycle through employees like Candy. They don't really care uh, what you think because they can replace you. And, you know, you're essentially a number, a cog in a wheel, management or not. And so the job that he went to essentially lied to him, misrepresented what he was supposed to do. And uh, he was forced to leave. And he's been struggling to find something ever since. And he's been putting up with a lot of crap and he's always been insecure. Um, He went to college to be a history teacher and then decided that That wasn't going to pay the bills as much as, you know, some other opportunities would. So he dropped out of school and went to, you know, got a job and built it up over time. But he's been putting up with a lot of crap lately um, from a lot of different directions. And I can relate to where he is. You know, I mean, on the one hand, he feels the need to pay, you know, to support his family. And my daughter's working full time. She just got her dream job. Um, she was working with us, and she left um, our company to go to work uh, as a, a pharmacy tech. And um, but he's been struggling to find work, and it's just a runaround. And so a lot of people are harping on him about you need to do what it takes for your family, and blah blah blah. And you know he was helping me move some things yesterday, and I said, "Look, I said I've been where you are. I get it." And I understand, but I have no doubt of his conviction to find work. Um, But people who are judging him, like, don't even have jobs. They're living on the, off the system, you know, uh, welfare, Medicare, you know, all that stuff. And um, I'm like, you know, don't pay attention to those voices because here's the thing. Like, I know that I'm just your father-in-law, but I believe in what you're doing. I believe that you're passionate about your family and wanting to support it and all of that. And the right job will come around. You know, one way or another, I want you to keep your head up. I want you to be expectant and look for the job. Because it isn't enough just to find a job. It's important to find a job that reflects who you are. And that'll come. And he looked at me like nobody's ever said this to me before, you know? Um, but me putting pressure on him, undue pressure to, to be something that he's not. Now, if he just lays around all day and doesn't do anything ever, then we would have a different conversation, but that's not who he is as a person, you know? And I recognize that. And so I think one thing that I say a lot and I believe a lot is that there's a lot to be said for grace and mercy. And there seems to be very little of it these days, very little grace, very little mercy. And that's unfortunate because we all need it. Like we're all going to screw up. We're all going to get it wrong sometimes. And grace and mercy helps us recover more quickly than people kicking us when we're down, you know, and, um, that's that kicking that happens very often comes from those identity obsessions that we've been talking about over the last 45 minutes, you know, because we are compared or aligned to this, uh, false yardstick and say you need to look this way or else you know what you're doing has to look like this or else and
1: I guess where I find
0: myself these days is um in the or else (laughs) you know maybe like, well, I'm not going to align to your, you know, yardstick, so bring it. Bring, bring the or else. Because I'm not you. I'm not going to be you. So, Steve says capitalism, also known as sponsors of the sports teams, is what drives up salaries and the ability to sell their products to a captive audience. I understand how it works, dude. I I mean, I get the process, but um, it's still
1: convoluted.
0: Yeah, William says, uh, speaking of politicians, uh, because they create the laws that benefit them, there are many laws that impact us right now that they are excluded from. One hot example right now is the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare. Oh, yeah, I, I agree 100%. That was one of the biggest piles of smoking bullshit that we've ever been fed as the American population, you know. Affordable Care Act, it's anything but. They basically put a gun to our heads and said, give us your money or else. You know, that's another one that I ended up on the URL saying because it's like, I'm not freaking getting that bullshit uh, insurance. I'll pay the damn fine first. And that's exactly what we've done. It's like, it's cheaper for me anyway to pay the fine than it is to pay inflated, ridiculous Um, insurance rates with ridiculous um, co-pay limits. Like by the time you finally get your um, deductible paid, it's the next year and you haven't benefited it at all from it. Right? So you're right, man. Crazy. Mark says, Oh, I've had fun with Jehovah Witnesses in the past too. Once I made a couple start to question... What they were spreading. I base it all on a study of brainwashing. I was doing a deep dive for no particular reason on NLP and subliminal triggering. Yeah, I love those topics. (laughs) They're a lot of fun. Like if I turned evil, like Darth Vader evil, which, you know, still good inside, but evil in the external, um, I could have a lot of fun, but (laughs) but yeah, me too. I mean, I think I shared before I used to be like a a training site for them, you know, like they started coming every couple of weeks and there were different people and I couldn't figure out why, what was going on. And then I realized it, they let it slip um, and shared something that there's no way they would have known without talking to the previous people who was here visiting. And uh, I, of course, picked up on that. And so I just played, you know. I had fun. Yeah, Steve also brings up a good point. He says, sports teams are a diversion as to what is really going on in a country like government corruption. Yeah. Yep. Jess says, uh, I enjoyed the backstory on Han Solo, brought him to life more for me. That's the way I saw it. I mean, I thought it was cool. It explained some things. And William makes a good point. He says, understand you're talking about extremes. I've come to appreciate that people go to extremes because they don't feel that they are listened to and heard at a lower level. Finding out who we are is hard work, and most don't want to do the hard work. They want an easy buzz, easy button or a silver bullet. Yeah, that's true. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't stand up to the system or go to extremes. Like, I'm not talking about extremes being a bad thing, necessarily. Um, my bigger... I wouldn't even call it a complaint. Observation. My bigger observation is... Um, I guess at the end of the day, we could refer to it as as status quo, you know, as being status quo, um, programmed into an identity because everyone else does just for the sake of needing to belong. Uh, Mark says, my go-to line in my head for disagreement with anyone is... If you're going to be something, be nice. It's not always the easy path, but trying to force your point of view rarely changes minds and sometimes burns bridges. Once that happens, it's too late to change minds. Yeah, that's my point of view. I agree. Um, because, like, I have one friend in particular. Uh, I've known him ever since he was a kid. Um, well, I'm a teenager. And, um, whenever I, um, was doing graphic design training, um, cause I was accredited here in Pennsylvania an accredited instructor for graphic design. And he was one of my students and I always thought he was a bit dorky, but you know, he grew out of it and he's one of my students. He, he went on to own the publishing company that, um, I worked for. Um, and has really done well with it. Um, he's an ultra nerd and has been very supportive of our nerd store and all of that to the point where him and his he has a group that goes around to like comic cons and places like that and makes these um, Pokemon terrariums and stuff and sells them at cost. Basically, he doesn't make any money off of it. He just enjoys doing it. And he's done that with us at our Geek Fest and those kinds of things. He's done Lego builds in our stores and all of that. And we've just been friends for a long time. And there's just a few topics that we're about as opposite on as you can get. And I had to make a choice, you know, do I want to allow this one thing or two things to divide us? or embrace the the greater good. And I chose to embrace the greater good because I'm just not willing to lose that friendship or to burn that bridge, as Mark said. And I think that's really where we all are. Like, I see lots of people burning bridges like there's no tomorrow. It's like they're walking around with a damn flamethrower. You know, like, what are you doing? You know, aren't you, like... Cause and effect, you know, uh, we could say karma's a bitch, but cause and effect, man, you know, you burn bridges. Guess what? If, if you need a bridge later on, you're kind of in trouble. And so, you know. Uh, Steve says, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. We'll reduce healthcare costs by $2,500 a family. Um, not when you're earning a half a million dollars a year. Like, everything changes whenever you get into a higher income bracket. And I don't have a family anymore. My family has their own families. It's me and Kristen. And we earn too much to get away with certain things that other people can Uh, William says, I have to disagree. Uh, Affordable Health Care Act is not a smoking pile of BS. It accomplishes exactly what it was intended. More people dependent on government through the premium subsidies. Well, I mean, if you look at it that way and you want government dependency, I would agree with that. Um, But as far as helping people get affordable care, that isn't, you know, I don't know where part of my struggle with healthcare specifically and all of that is that I get that pharmaceuticals have to invest a lot of time, money, and energy to quote unquote, discover cures. Um, In some cases they are genuine cures and that, it's important for them to recoup that money and that they have a set period of time to do that 14 to 20 years, depending on, well, most of them are using design patents. So 14 years to recoup their money. Um, but pharmaceutical companies going out and buying other pharmaceuticals and then raising the medication by factors of 10 or 50 or hundred and then insurance companies agreeing to pay them what they're willing to pay them. And then, um, expecting people to fall in the line. Like that whole system is probably more what I have problems with. Like if, if drugs and treatment was actually priced the way it should be, none of this would even be a discussion, but you get two Tylenol in a hospital if you're in the hospital versus, you know, at your local grocery store, like extra strength Tylenol in a hospital, you're gonna pay 25 bucks. At the grocery store, 25 bucks will buy you a freaking case. So, you know, all of that to me plays together. Um, so it's a little challenging to look at healthcare just as healthcare. Whenever there's a lot of other factors that also contribute that are equally as insane. Yeah, Mark says, organized sports is modern room and coliseum. Keep them distracted. Ancient crowd control playbook. Yeah, I didn't really think of, of it put quite that way, but yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Leslie says, this may sound silly, but I'm not really sure how to find out who I am. Um, it can be incredibly challenging, I will admit, to get to the core of who we are. Because there's a lot of conditioning in there that, come from a, that comes from a lot of different directions. I feel like for me, I, I mean, I can only share my own experience. And I feel like for me, that has really only happened over the last few years, but what I discovered in that adventure is that for the most part, I always knew, because you can take a look at your interests, your hobbies, your core beliefs, and all of that as a starting point, but then... Um, like one of the things that I did was I questioned all of it. Like, why do I believe X? Why do I find X interesting? Whatever X is. And question literally everything. What's my motivation behind doing this or that? Like, what's my real motivation? So, um, discovery requires, um, deep honesty. And a lot of soul searching. In my own personal experience, I got to a point where I didn't feel like I could get any further without outside help. Um, And for me, that took the form of coaches, um, books certainly helped, and audiobooks, reading books and audiobooks. Um, One of the programs I have shared before that really helped me a lot is uh, a program run by some friends of mine called Radical Leadership. And um, that really helped me cut through some of the crazy. And um, (laughs) apparently my wife decided to print something right now. Um, That helped me cut through some of the crazy. That I just couldn't see myself. And um, that was one of the things that helped uncover um, a, a huge discovery for me, where I was taking about 95 percent or 90 percent of who I was and making it a 100 because there was 10 percent that I thought I would be rejected on if people knew this about me. And it wasn't anything horrid or bad or illegal. (laughs) I mean, it wasn't anything like that or some past thing that I did. Like I'm not a, you know, a murderer on the run or part of FBI relocation. Um, you know, or a convicted felon or anything like that. But there were just certain things where I had judged myself and, um, and decided that that wasn't that, that, I would be rejected for who I was as that person. And part of it was being a nerd. Honestly, it's one of the reasons why I started this show. Um, if people found out that I believed X, what would they think? Um, so I just took all of what I think and put it out to the public. <laughs> you know, why not? But um, one of the things that I found, uh, Leslie, is that self-judgment is usually at the core of struggling with identity um, it, it's one of those things that really can prevent us from, uh, identifying and embracing who we are. And, um, and it's scary because, uh, in many cases they are, they can be some pretty thick walls. Um, they're, they're thick, but tenuous. So like they would shatter pretty easily if we actually took a swing at them. We've just been conditioned to not take a swing at them. And uh, so my encouragement to you is is really some self-reflection. It's a one-step-at-a-time process. It's not going to happen overnight. It's a year's process. But um, I would start with who you are right now. And then just ask simple questions, not from a judgmental perspective, but just from an exploration ex- uh, perspective explore who you are why you like what you like why you hate what you hate your ideologies your belief systems and you know what a lot of them you're going to come back like okay i'm cool with that i like that i like that belief so fine hold on to it um one of the things that i remember um that stuck with me during my time um at Rainbow bible training center was Kenneth Hagin one day was talking to us and he said, um, one of the wisest things I ever heard, and he said, um, we need to be like cattle, eat the hay and leave the sticks. And so it's our job to identify what the hay is and what the sticks are and then just leave the sticks. Uh, Kathleen says Marx I think said religion is the opiate of the people Uh, for some that is still true but nowadays I think sports spectator sports mainly is the opiate of the people keep people occupied with trivia and you can control them yeah control is definitely at the core of, of this discussion really um that hits the nail on the head it really is about control um Whereas personal identity identity and personal opinion and personal conviction, holy cow, a person with conviction and personal identity is unstoppable. Like they are the ultimate, uh, weapon, so to speak. Uh Steve says no one ever truly and fully investigates why healthcare costs keep rising drug prices is only a small part Yep Uh Mark says my wife cannot get insurance in almost any other way she's a cancer survivor I would be in the same boat if I were not a veteran with my spinal fusion well, I'm not saying that it's all bad. Like, pre existing conditions is certainly one of those uh issues with healthcare that I think has to be a part of whatever uh plan is in there. Because like to find people who are a hundred percent perfectly healthy and don't have past issues, you know, like that's nearly all of us <laughs> that have issues. I mean, that's like my health in, or my life insurance, you know, went through extensive testing and all that kind of stuff. And they were like, oh, hey, by the way, did you know you have diabetes? Guess what? We're going to charge you X amount of dollars now, like ridiculous amounts of money more than what Kristen's is. And like, uh, I have what, <laughs> you know, I mean, that was kind of my response. Like, well, what are you talking about? Like I feel perfectly fine. Everything is normal from my perspective. Oh no, your numbers are way too high. You know, see, look at these two numbers here. Like they shouldn't be this way. They should be this way. And so, I mean, I still got life insurance, but you know, it's costing me a small fortune. Yeah, William says, lots of ways to find out who we are, tons of assessments. Questioning is a great starting point. The five whys exercise is a good starting point for questioning who we are. Yeah, and another thing that can help, too, um, I don't know if it's going to be next week or the following week. I'm still working on that. But I mentioned last week that um, I was going to bring um, our friend uh, Natalie Collins on to talk about human design and um, i'm still learning about it it's fascinating as anything to me Um, slightly reminiscent of astrology but different really different and um that's gonna that could be a really good starting point for you as well i like to go into a lot of those things being a skeptic not because i don't believe that they're a thing or not but more because it's like You know, I'll give you a shot, you know, just show me. And, um, you know, whenever my own personal human design chart was shared and identified, I was like (laughs) reading down through it. I'm like, yeah, that's me. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's me. That's me. Yeah, I do that. I always do that. Yep. Yeah. I mean, there wasn't anything I could argue with. It was just like all me. And um, it's it's kind of fascinating. I mean, that's been my experience with like I've tried a lot of different things, as many of you have, you know, like um, one of my coaching students a few years back is a professional numerologist over in the UK. And so I had her run my chart and run my kids charts. And, um, it was surprising how accurate it was and the same with astrology, you know, work with a professional astrologer and it's just uncanny how accurate it was. One of my best friends is, a, a very long time tarot reader, which she was actually on a show last year. Um, Elaine Ireland, um, you know, I've done multiple readings with her always spot on. And the only time I've ever seen it not apply with any of that stuff is with my youngest daughter, Courtney. And I think I might have shared this before, but like with Courtney, it doesn't matter what I plug her into. She's the exact opposite. It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Like for astrology she was exactly opposite for numerology chart exactly opposite for human design exactly opposite it's like it's like she was born out of sequence or something you know like somebody screwed up a birth date or something somewhere because this isn't you and it's i've only ever seen it one time and it's with her my daughter ashley spot on everything is spot on like everything everyone else that that i've tried one of the other various things you know um spot on it's just kind of uncanny that way so that could be helpful to you as well um you know no rock unturned kind of thing uh, Mark says, ambivalent introspection is the key to the path to finding you. By the time you get a handle on it, it's time to go. <laughs> so it seems. <laughs> um, and William says, judging ourselves, uh, our negative bias is hardwired into us for survival reasons. We are more often than not our own worst enemy as a result of this hardwiring. Yeah, true story, man. Um, And Kathleen says, but we are not totally free agents. There are people who will burn down your house if you express a differing opinion. People who will beat you up, vandalize your car, or get you fired from your job or shunned by your neighbors. Being yourself all the time can make life really difficult for some people in some places. And that's unfortunate, isn't it? You know, that it's like that. I mean, you're right. I've seen it happen. But it's really unfortunate. William said, so how did numerology, astrology, and human design sync up with each other? Is the core of each consistent across the different tools? That's the key question of who you are. Yeah, man. I mean, like for me, it's like, I'll tell you how it was for me. So it's like somebody who's known me most of their lives or like my mom, you know, (laughs) like somebody interviewed my mom and said, so tell me everything you know about Tony. And so she did. And then also got the feedback from my kids, the rest of my family, my ex-wife, my current wife, everybody, like just constant feedback. And then all my friends, constant feedback. And then through all of that input, it's like they just shook it all down to an assessment of who I am as a person. And then replicated it, and then at the top of one put numerology, and top of another put astrology, and another one put human design, and it was like essentially the same thing. It said certain things in different ways, but it was still the same thing at it, at the core. So it really was. Um, it really was an expression of who I was in some really bizarre ways. And, like, one thing that stood out to me was, uh, like, with human design, um, as I mentioned last week, I think, um, I am, like, out of the five classifications, I am known as a reflector, which is um, the smallest percentage of the human population, like, less than 1%. And... Um, I'll let Natalie get into it because there's like gates and all of that kind of stuff that are open or closed that can lead to certain points of how you act and what you do and how you think. But the one thing that's unique about reflectors is that they function on a lunar cycle um, where everyone else does not. Reflectors are the only ones who do. And so um, because of that, there's a lot of dynamics that are different. And one of those dynamics is in making big decisions. Literally takes 28 days, 29 days, you know, a lunar cycle. Um, and and I found that incredibly intriguing because, like, for me, I'm not an indecisive person. I can make decisions very quickly, especially under pressure. The more pressure I'm under, the better I can make Decisions. But it's not because that's how I'm wired. It's because I have the ability to draw energy from a room and reflect it back. And so it's kind of like pulling the energy of the, the entire room and then sorting through the best choice and then reflecting that choice back. But when it comes to personal big decisions, it takes me forever, it seems like. And as I started to think back on it, I'm like, You know, I never really thought about it before as a cycle, but it actually is one and it really is there. And that's just one small example. But um, yeah, for me, it, it was incredibly fascinating. And this is coming from the guy who, you know, grew up being told that all that stuff was evil and bad, you know. So anywho. William says, cool, that's good. Now you know, Tony, and uh, use it to your advantage going forward in life. Well, yeah, and that's one of the, uh, one of the reasons why I'm, I've been examining and exploring what I'm doing. And, you know, like I, I was mentioning uh, to Leslie earlier about, you know, starting off with questioning everything. Um, one caveat that I would probably throw in there is that that never stops. You know, because there are some things in our lives that are just seasonal, you know, and there's some things in our life that's unique to us that requires that we go through certain things so that we can be in a place later on to accomplish what we're supposed to accomplish then, you know, so there is some wisdom in recognizing those elements as well. Uh, Kathleen says a French scientist, um, Michael Gagling? Don't know. <laughs> uh, set out to prove that astrology was bosh. He felt that if it were true, then certain professions would be heavily weighted with people born under certain astrology signs, for example, athletes. He was able to get data for thousands or millions. And that is exactly what he found. Made a believer out of a formerly militant skeptic. Interesting. Yeah, me too. I, um, Funny story that I've shared before, but I'll end it with this. Um, my first wife, Deborah, was a Pisces.
1: And to
0: her credit, she is a Pisces through and through. I'm an Aries. So Aries is a fire sign. Pisces is a water sign. Water, fire, not good combo. Um, get a, bu- a lot of steam and that's about it. And, um, but I've noticed, like, it took me a while. More than 28 days. Um, to realize that after my divorce and I finally started dating again that like i wasn't setting out to do this but it just so happened that all the women that i was dating were pisces like six or eight of them not just one or two and the outcome was always the same it was weirdest thing like the dynamics were the same their interests were the same everything was the same and ultimately like my mom is about as non- astrology as you can get you know and even she finally said whenever i would go out to breakfast with her and announce that i had a new interest new you know somebody that i was dating she's i remember one time she said is she a pisces and i'm like mom like you don't even believe in astrology like why are you asking me that question she's like well you seem to be on a roll you know (laughs) like maybe you need if you want to believe in that stuff maybe you need to go back and find the kind of person you're supposed to be with well that never worked out you know i mean the sign that i was supposed to be with i don't think i ever dated one person like that then i discovered virgos and holy um what a crap show that was dated two of them same name even first name and same end result. It was kinda of crazy. So finally as like, you know, on my do not date list, it was like no Pisces, no Virgos, you know, that's all done. Never again. And um so Kristen is a Taurus and she's like an Aries leaning Taurus, you know. So she's just just a Taurus, you know, she's almost on the line. Um, and we get along fine, you know, but It was just kind of fascinating to me how there were patterns uh, there that you could easily point to and recognize. It was just curious to me. Uh, Carolyn says, numerology and astrology readings do not sync up well with my experience. The only thing I've been told that may apply is that I have one of the most complex astrology charts you could possibly have. Well, and it's certainly not going to be everyone's experience. I mean, that's just my experience is that everything synced really well together. And like even I remember I was speaking at a conference one time and this guy came up to me who was a handwriting expert. And, um, he introduced himself and he said as much. And, I'd never had like handwriting analysis done or anything like that. And he said, I said, well, that's kind of fascinating. And he's like, yeah, I won't do business with anybody until I analyze their handwriting and all of that. And I'm like, okay, so now you have me curious. And I said, can you like do your magic on my signature real quick? And he's like, sure. I'd love to. So, I grabbed the piece of paper and I signed my name and I handed it to him and he looked at the paper and he looked up at me and he goes, I would do business with you. And I said, okay, why? Like, why is that? And he's like, before I say why, let me see if I can tell you a couple things about yourself based on your signature. And I'm like, okay, this should be good. And so he started describing me to a T. And I'm like, and he didn't know me before that moment. And I'm like, you got all of that out of my signature? And he said, yeah. And I'm like, okay, you got to show me. Like, I, I find that hard to believe, but you got to show me. And he's like, well, see how you have the lines in your G in Lydig and Y going straight down without loops or anything. Yeah, that means a certain, that means this. And you see how, you know, your T is a basic T and not cursive, but everything else is. That means this. And you see how the the O's are gapped slightly, not completely touching. That means this. And he just went through every single part of it. And I was blown away. It was just like, you know... I guess I'm a good case study for all things weird like that, but it was just kind of interesting to me. Uh, Carolyn says, "Oh, now my handwriting analysis does match my personality. Handwriting uh, analysts love my writing. I'm not a good writer that way. Like my signature, I can barely read it, you know, at times, but apparently it's still who I am. So, All right. Well, we kind of danced around a lot of different topics, but thank you all for being here once again. Um, I enjoyed our discussion today. I appreciate your feedback as always, especially considering that at 9.45, I'm sitting here in my chair going, what the hell am I going to talk about? So I think it went well, (laughs) all things considered. And uh, so anyway, uh, next week we will... um, Uh, get into something else. Maybe uh, the uh, human design stuff I have to connect with Natalie this week. Uh, Mark says, I was born at midnight on December 22nd, half Capricorn, half Sagittarius. I read through the human design thoughts, came up, came to the opinion that I am half manifester and half reflector. That's very interesting. You might want to share that with, uh, with Natalie whenever she's on. Um, she's been studying this for four or five years and she's like a licensed practitioner of it now. And, uh, so I've been an interesting guinea pig for her. Um, cause I think I'm the only reflector that she knows, but, um, very interesting. So thank you all very much. I appreciate your, uh, kind words. And uh, we will see you next Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern or 10 10 (laughs) a.m. Hopefully not 10 p.m., 10 a.m. Eastern.